Hello everyone, welcome back and thank you for joining us on the Live Unreal with Glover U podcast, where every week Jeff Glover and his coaches will dive deep into questions that you are asking. They understand the challenges you are facing on a day-to-day basis and still work every day on the front lines of real estate, with Jeff and his team closing over a thousand homes per year. In today's episode, coach Matt Sutter takes the stage to talk about leadership and empire building. At the Live Unreal Summit in March 2021, Matt shared what it takes to lead effectively and build a business that multiplies your success, whether you're a solo agent, running a team, or on a team. Now, let's hear from Matt Sutter. All right, flip the switch at the door, flip the switch at the door. So, I woke up this morning, and you may hear it still, I woke up this morning with zero voice. And, oh, by the way, I did that thing on my phone where... I set my wake-up call or my wake-up call alarm to PM. That was awesome. That was awesome. So I woke up about an hour and a half late. How was your morning? <laughs> All right, awesome. No, flip the switch at the door. If you've been with us at Glover U events before, you know we've got what we call Gloverisms, which are eight philosophies, eight things that we hold really dear to kind of our core belief system. And one of them is flip the switch at the door. And what flip the switch at the door means, it does not matter what the circumstances are. It does not matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what's happening in the moment. Whatever your key priority is in that moment is all that matters. And so I can tell you, I, Jeff and I live this on a regular basis. Things fall apart, things go wrong. You wake up with no voice and you do everything you can to medicate it because guess what? There's one objective in this moment. All right, so flip the switch at the door. So I'm excited to spend some time with you guys today. We're going to go a little bit different than some of the other content that we've been sharing today. You know, Jeff, Jeff is the master of skill set. Uh, and by the way, has he done a fantastic job delivering incredible value? Yeah. Yeah, he does that. What my area of specialty, as Jeff kind of alluded to, is really on the business development and leadership side. Those are the spaces I'm super passionate about. And really, I've spent over the past decade doing everything I can to become really just a, a, a really renowned expert in those spaces. And so we're actually going to have a conversation for the rest of my time around leadership. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. Regardless of where you are in the business, whether you're a solo agent, you're running a team, you're on a team, you're just getting sorry, it does not matter. Leadership is part of the equation for every single role in any business, period, if you're going to go to the highest level. And the reason that is the case is because of time. See, at the end of the day, we can learn all the skills from the master himself, Jeff, and they can get incredible ROI, just as he said, and he's absolutely right. Yet, the limiter is that if we put things on our shoulder, we have 24 hours in a day. And so we're limited by the skill set we can uh, manifest results through in that 24-hour period. By the way, you could sell a lot of homes in that. But at some point, time becomes the limiting factor. And it's only when we bring other people into our world that we're going to then be able to scale our growth. Right? If I'm by myself, I have 24 hours in a day. If I'm on a team of 10, I have 240 hours in a day. So we're going to talk about the leadership elements Um, And specifically five things, and I apologize for my voice, we're going to power through it, I'm going to give you everything I can, and then I'm probably going to go backstage and try to sleep for an hour just to see if I can rest this thing, but I'm going to give you everything I have. There's five major buckets that we're going to talk about. One, casting vision. One of probably uh, the most critical requirement for becoming a great leader is the ability to cast vision. I'm going to give you some tips on that. We're going to then talk about how do you attract talent to that vision. How do you hire the best people? How do you even know who the best people are? Next, how do we train and then ramp them up? In other words, it's called the onboarding phase. How do we bring them in and onboard them by getting them trained and ramped up? Next, how do we develop and grow them? How do we develop and grow them? How do we take um, raw or even potential talent and over a period of time develop them into world-class empire builders? And then next, last, and this is critical, how do we retain that talent? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you've been in the business for a long time, especially if you've added any people into your business, you've gone through the struggle of retaining good talent. We're going to talk about how do you do that? What are the mechanisms for doing that? Now, a couple things here. Um, Some of this may be foreign and even a bit scary to you, 
Go on the journey. You may feel overwhelmed depending on what your experience level is. You know, I always joke that Jeff typically will give me a topic that he wants me to talk about. And he said, okay, Matt, we're gonna give you an hour. But what I want you to do is teach 50 hours worth of content, okay? So make sure you truncate it into an hour. Good luck. Well, for some of you, depending on where you are, it may feel like that. It may feel like a bit of the fire hose, but at least you're starting to get exposed to it. All right, let's jump in. All right, so here's what we want to do. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to identify the vision for your business. Now, I put quotes on the screen. Notice they're all by the same gentleman. Personally, I think Jack Welch, the, the uh, uh, former chairman and CEO of GE, is a masterful person to study if you want to get good at understanding vision. I'm not going to go through the quotes, but they're up there if you want to take a picture. But your vision describes what your company looks like in a future state. In other words, when we cast a vision or we articulate a vision, we're saying, hey, we're going there, and this is what it looks like. And the reason we do that is because we have to get people connected emotionally to the opportunity that's ahead. Most leaders spend so much time focused on where they are today and how to maybe make a little bit of progress in the day that they miss out that most people get disengaged from that on a daily basis. The daily monotony starts to catch up. And the second people lose an emotional connection to what could be, they start to check out or they start to become complacent. Vision is one of our most effective tools for keeping people engaged and forward thinking. So your vision needs to do things like this. It needs to tell people where you're going. It must be aspirational and inspirational. It creates a mental image of what success looks like. And then lastly, it challenges and aligns the people you're leading. Now that's really critical. Because if you've been in the business for a while, working with other people, you, how often do we see organizations where one person's going this way, one person's going this way, and the other person's going this way? By the way, they're working really hard going those directions. Now here's the, here's the catch. The harder they work and the better they do in going in each of the directions, the further the organization gets from each other. It's actually their hard work and results that are actually fragmenting the team. Vision aligns the team and says, we are going there. That's what it looks like. Now, a couple of key points on vision. And I've learned this the hard way. By the way, as I joked in the breakout section, uh, content yesterday, for those of you that were with me, just about everything I teach on is because, well, I had to learn the hard way. Pretty much everything I teach on is because I failed in some area of my leadership and business journey. My goal is to help make it a little bit easier so you don't have to maybe repeat the same mistakes. First key point, you want people to follow your vision, not you. Oh, what the heck does that mean? Former mentor of mine used to talk about, people will typically join your world because they're magnetically attracted to you in some way. There's something about you that they see as a conduit for their potential success or their potential outcomes. And so what happens is, and this happens, by the way, pretty typically, and it's actually okay if they join you for you. But if they join you for you and you don't get them tied to the vision, here's what happens. See, if I'm a, if I'm a single agent and I hire somebody, one person to work with me, and they're there because they like working with me, and yet my organization starts to grow, and maybe that person hasn't been able to keep up pace to where they could keep getting promoted and promoted and pro promoted. And now all of a sudden, it's not that, not that I wanna let them go, it's not that they don't bring value, it's not that they don't have some, some um, benefit and value they bring to the organization, but maybe I'm actually at some point, as my role gets big, I'm gonna have to put somebody in between me and them. Well, if they're only there for me, what do you think happens the second they no longer have that same level of access to me? They go bye-bye. See, we have to get people tied to the vision. If we're gonna have a big business and they're there for us, then we're either stuck bringing them along when they may not want that in their life, or they may not be ready for it, or we risk losing them. Next, hire to your vision, fire to your vision, period. Um, I always think of the, uh, I, I hate using sports analogies, yet I'm going to use it here. Imagine, imagine if an NFL pro team had the vision to go win the Super Bowl next year. 
And a couple players are like, well, that's not really of interest to me. How well is that going to work? See, I always think of the New England Patriots, you know, probably the greatest football dynasty of all time. And here's the thing. They weren't always known as the team with the most talent. But every single player on that team was aligned to the vision. For those of you that are football fans, how'd that work out for them? Pretty well, right? We hire to the vision, fire to the vision. I don't care how talented the person is. If we're going here and they're going there, it doesn't work. I'd rather have someone less talented but more lockstep in the vision. Next, we're going to recruit to that vision. We want to be constantly talking about the vision for our organization, where we're going to go, because that's going to be the thing that's attractive to others that get inspired by that. Now, by the way, I'll get to this at the end, but we want to allow people to have a vision inside of our vision. You know, people always ask me, you know, why, why did you join Jeff? You were doing your gig. You had a lot of success in it. Why join Jeff? Well, quite frankly, and this is a great model, I joined Jeff because his vision was so massive to build the largest and most successful coaching and training company in the country. And by the way, we're going to do it. We're going to do it because we have the right team and we're in lockstep on the vision. But here's the thing. Within that, I have my own vision within the Glover U organization. And Jeff's always been incredibly supportive. Hey, great, go do that. Because guess what? When I get to my vision for, for my life, when I get to my unreal life, what do you think that does for Jeff? It allows him to get closer to his. Allow people to have a vision within your vision as long as it's headed in the same direction. I want my people, I, I tell every single person that I hire, I want them to make a killing. I want them to hit every dream they've ever had. Because if you've got someone in your organization and they're literally building their unreal life, what's the likelihood they're ever going to want to leave you? No, your, your organization's a conduit to their success. Next, cast your vision, 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 cast your vision. Here's the truth. Most of you go home every night and before you go to bed, the last thing you think about is your business. And you wake up the next morning, and the first thing you think about is your business. Do not assume that's how your people are wired. See, I always love Jack Welch, I'm going to paraphrase. He makes another quote that basically says he got to the point in his organization where he was casting vision so much it almost made him just want to vomit. He was like, I'm so tired of talking about our vision. They've got to be sick of it. And then guess what? An independent research team... Some consultants came in and they just did some random interviews of people within the organization. And one of the questions was like, tell us your feelings around the vision. And they just got befuddled looks. Like, what are you talking about? See, Jack Welch thought about it every single second of his existence. That didn't mean his people were. We have to be casting it over and over and over and over and over and over and over if we're going to keep people connected. All right. Now... Taking that vision, let's talk about how do we attract and hire to that vision. Well, key thing, key thing is as long as they're in lockstep with the vision, talent solves everything. See, next to people being in alignment with the vision, our success, more than anything else, including our systems, including our operations, including our training processes, our tools, our resources, more than anything, more than anything, it's our ability to attract talent and retain that talent. If they're lockstep with our vision, I can take a super talented person and have a, a lower value proposition or a lower initial opportunity for them and we're going to win. Now, my job then will be to make sure we create that value proposition so that after we've won, they want to stay so that they can continue to win. How do we do that? Well, first thing is we walk the walk. We, we become an icon. And I love this story of Jeff, and he shared it with you yesterday. You know, Jeff wasn't really looking to necessarily build a team at a certain point. He was just a really high-producing agent. But, of course, because he had become an icon, people were attracted to that and wanted to work with him. Well, Jeff tells the story, and I, I don't know if he had a chance to share it yesterday or if he's going to do it from the stage. I was like, I don't have anything for you. I don't have a value proposition. I don't have a training manual. But here's what, here's what happened. Jeff walks the walk. And so people came and joined him, and guess what they did? They did exactly what Jeff did every day. 
Jeff wasn't having to necessarily train them. He was walking the walk. Now, here's the cool thing. Some people came in, and they followed him in lockstep. And guess what? Those were the people he wanted, because he wanted people that walked the walk as well. Some people didn't. And they're like, oh, not for me. Awesome! Bye-bye. I don't mean that callously. It just means that they weren't in lockstep. So don't, if you're concerned around bringing people into your world that I don't know that I, I don't know how to do it, I don't, I don't have all the resources, well, I'm going to argue you can't build the resources until you start to have some people. Because until you start to have some people, you don't have the bandwidth, you don't have the time, because you're busy. You're busy selling homes. You're busy selling homes. So first start by walking the walk. Next, walking the walk forces people to keep up. Jeff alluded um, uh, that in a previous life uh, or about five years ago, I left an organization that um, built two companies that were on the Inc. 500, 5,000 list. And so uh, for those of you that are familiar with the Inc. 500, 5,000 list, it measures the fastest growing companies in the entire country from any industry. We were four-time recipients of it. In fact, we had two companies that were both four-time recipients. By the way, to the best of my knowledge, there's only been nine companies ever that have made it four years in a row. We had two of them. This was a world-class organization that I was extremely privileged to be an executive leader on. And yet I remember very, very well our principal, my, my, the greatest mentor I've ever had. I remember so well that there would be nights where we'd be sitting in the office cranking away and we'd look up where's everybody else see we were working our tails off where was everyone else when it was five o'clock guess what and there was still work to do we weren't checking out and this was a really beneficial and painful lesson for both of us because of our deep care for people and I know for me being a high eye I don't necessarily like to disappoint people I don't necessarily want to have hard conversations see most people when they see me up on stage are like god that dude's intense it's not actually how I operate with people, though. If I defer to anything, it's actually, I struggle with the hard conversation. It is not a strength of mine. And I remember really learning that leadership lesson, that if you were going to walk the walk and your people weren't, one of two things had to happen. You had to have a reframing conversation, or you had to be okay with letting them go. And I remember towards the end of that, we replaced the entire rest of the leadership team. Because it had to happen if we were going to continue that growth. So walking the walk forces others to keep up or it exits them out. It exits them out. All right, next. In our search for superstar talent, and you can see on your screen some examples of what talent looks like. Our goal is to attract talent and to never stop doing that. I, I look at it like this. Um, in any of my businesses or my current businesses or organizations, my goal, my goal is to give everyone in that organization the opportunity to go as far in their career path as they want. However, it's not a given. So many of us in the real estate industry, we make this mistake of we, we make a first hire, and then because we're loyal to them, we wanna, we wanna make sure that as there's promotion opportunities or new roles, that we give them the opportunity to do it. No. Our only obligation is to give them the opportunity to earn that role. If they can't earn that role, then our obligation, if we're committed to our vision, is to find somebody that has earned it and is ready. Now for me, it's a tiebreaker. If I've got an internal person and an external person and they're more or less equal, internal person's gonna get it every day. But if it's external person, new hire versus internal, I'm going external. What I mean by that, where I'm going with this, is that we've gotta be casting our vision, not just internally, but also publicly. We do this through, for instance, one of the great mechanisms right now is our Facebook Lives. Our Facebook Lives are about talking about where we're going, talking about where we're going. Now, by the way, anybody ever made a Facebook Live and you're like, I'm not sure that anybody actually watched it. There was only two people on there. Or I didn't get a lot of comments. They're watching. They're watching. They just don't tell you they're watching. But when we keep casting the vision over time, what happens is eventually they raise their hand. They say, you know, he or she's been on that same message for a while, I think there's some legitimacy there. I'm gonna reach out and connect with them. They're watching, keep going. Cast it, cast it, cast it, cast it. Next, and I love this one, I love this one. Talk about the success of other people in your organization. Guess what, talent does not care about you. They care about where they can get when they are with you. 
And so we don't want to make our success about us. If I keep saying, hey, look at, look at everything I've built. This is so wonderful. Guess what? People think it's just an ego show. They're not attracted to that. But when I can say, hey, when Jane started with us, she started in this role. And because she succeeded here, three years later, she was promoted to here. And oh, by the way, here's the thing she did here. And we're so proud of her because today we've just given her a second promotion. See, what that message is to everybody else out in the world is that you've got an organization where people can grow, where they can have opportunity, where they can get to what they, where they want to go. Next, one of my favorite quotes, and if you're a coaching client of mine with the team, you've heard me say this before. You cannot take a duck to Eagle School. One of my favorite John Maxwell quotes, you cannot take a duck to Eagle School. A couple things on this. We are looking for an organization of eagles. And most of the world is ducks. The average person is average. Now, by the way, I don't have any judgment on that. I don't want an average business, however. And so if I hire average ducks, I'm going to have an average business. I'm looking for eagles. Now, a couple of things on this. Many of us get, I don't want to say get stuck, but we make the decision to hire ducks. And even if we pour into them, the best they're ever going to be is really awesome ducks. But they'll never be eagles. I'd rather take a baby eagle, one that doesn't yet even know how to fly or hunt, but they're a baby eagle, and train that person. Because when that person matures, we've got something really special on our hands. Having coached top businesses and top teams for the past decade or so, I can tell you one of the biggest issues that I've just consistently dealt with is people just so frustrated with the people in their organization. They're like, gosh, why can't they just do it? Why can't they just get some results? You got a bunch of ducks. And for those of you that experience this, how demoralizing it is to beat your head against the wall because they're not producing or not performing. Well, guess what? You're never going to stop beating your head against the wall because you're trying to turn a duck into an eagle. Let go of the ducks. Go find some baby eagles. Teach them how to fly. Teach them how to hunt. Next, I always talk about hold to the top 1% rule. This one really, really resonates with me. Top 1% rule. And um, the best way for me to introduce what the top 1% rule is to ask the question and then explain what the question means. The question won't make any sense until I, I give you the explanation of it. So here's the question. What percent of agent do you want to be? Here's what I mean by that question. Do you want to be in the top 50% of all agents? Do you want to be in the top 20% of all agents? Do you want to be in the top 10% of all agents or the top 1% of all agents? Well, wherever you want to be for your business, we are then obligated to make hires for people that want to be in the top 1% of their particular role. See, if I want to be in the top 1% of all agents, and I hire an executive assistant that's pretty cool with, you know what, like, I'm fine being in the top 50% of all executive agents, what's the likelihood they're going to be a catalyst for me getting into the top 1%? Now, here's the thing. If I want to hire top 1% talent, how many people do I need to connect with at some level to identify who is actually top 1%? 100. And most of us make our hiring decisions after meeting two people. I gotta tell you this right now, average looks amazing next to lousy. Average looks amazing next to lousy. And we can't actually know who's great. We can't actually know who's world class until we have a lot of awesomeness to compare them to. Otherwise, and I see this all the time on Facebook, just hired a rock star. How many people did you interview? Two. Yeah, well, find me in 90 days. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Next. When we're interviewing talent, how do we actually, how do we actually identify who is superstar, who is an eagle, who has high potential versus the riffraff, versus the average. So here's some of the tips that I'm gonna give you when I'm interviewing. The first is, and I always joke about this because when I make hires typically, um, I will, after I've hired them, I may be having small talk with them and I'll ask them a question that they may have told me the answer to three times in the interview process. Here's why that happens. 
because I don't listen to a single story they tell me. When I ask them a question, tell me about, tell me about uh, what you've been doing over the past five years, I don't hear a lick of their story. I am intentionally not listening to the story. I am listening to their language. I am listening to how they think. I am listening to what, um, uh, how they operate emotionally and intellectually. I don't care about their story. By the way, if, if someone's a good salesperson, they're gonna be able to tell you the right stories. But when we listen outside of the story and actually listen for language, this is how we discover how they actually think. And to me, how someone thinks is one of the biggest predictors of where they're gonna go. And when I say how they think, that doesn't necessarily mean pure intellect. Of course we wanna be in business with smart people, but that's not pure intellect. I'll give you some examples, what I mean by that, how people think. Are they accountable or are they victim? So if I hear people telling me stories, I'm listening to hear whether something went good or bad. Again, I don't care the story, but were they accountable to the result? Or were there a lot of just kind of subtle excuses? I'm always fascinated listening to people when they've left an organization, I'm interviewing them, but why they left. It's amazing how much, they don't know they're doing it. It's amazing how much victim language. And by the way, it's not so pervasive as like, yeah, well, everybody in my last company sucked. No, it's not, it doesn't stand out like that. It's little things like, well, I just, you know, I really wanted to uh, find something that was gonna give me a bigger opportunity. Actually potential victim language. Actually potential victim language. Now I'm gonna explore some more there, but what that could potentially mean is that they weren't accountable to their own life and their own success. So I'm gonna dig into that a little bit. Next, I wanna hear clarity that they prioritize well. You can see some of the sample questions on here. By the way, the tips I'm giving you, these are some of my favorite questions to ask, so this is a good slide to take a picture of. But I wanna see how they prioritize, because it's really fascinating when I say, hey, um, tell me what you did in your last role and what you're most proud of. And when I ask that question, and they start giving me answers of things that don't really matter in terms of moving the needle, that's a concern for me. See, in my world, we live by the 80-20 rule. And some of you are gonna be familiar with the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule says 20% of the things we do generate 80% of our results. Which then conversely means the other 80% of the things we do generate 20% of our results. I'm not actually looking for somebody who's great at everything. If they can do the top 20%, I will figure out how we take care of the other 80%. And so when I'm listening for language and they're staying in the 80% lane, the things that aren't mission critical, I'm concerned that they don't naturally have an inclination to prioritizing what matters, what actually matters. Next, um, are they resourceful and learning based? In other words, can they find solutions on their own? It is wild to me. Um, I'm gonna be really careful with my language here, not that uh, I haven't offended people before, Genera generation generationally, there has been a disposition for, for an expectation for things to be handed to certain people. Be very careful with that. If I'm bringing people into my organization and they expect me to be able to give them all the answers, why do I need them? I'm looking for people to mostly be able to figure things out on their own. I'm looking for people that are resourceful. When they don't know the answer, if they're coming to me and say, hey, can you help me with this? That didn't work because guess what, I'm busy. I need them to figure it out. Otherwise, why am I paying them? We're looking for people that are resourceful and can figure out the answers. Next, do they have limiting beliefs? Um, it's always interesting when I'm doing the interview process, I'm listening to how they think about opportunity. Remember I said yesterday that beliefs are rules, and so your beliefs are your rules. So your limiting beliefs are your limiting rules, limiting rules that you follow. I want to hear people's language. Again, I'm not listening for the story. If I'm listening for the story, I won't catch it. But I want to hear, do they make little statements that make me think they put a ceiling on their own potential? That's a big red flag. It's a big concern. Uh, fifth, overcoming challenges. This is a huge one for me. Good Lord, if I'm interviewing someone and they can't give me three major failures, I'm not hiring them, period. I'm not, you know that old, uh, tell me your two weaknesses? Well, I just care too much, right? That's the old, the old standard answer. Baloney, I want to hear about people that have been in the ditch. 
Because it's the people that have been in the ditch and pulled them out, I know they got some serious resiliency. If they've never failed, if they've been kind of the golden boy or golden girl their whole entire life, big red flag. I don't want perfection. I want resiliency. I want people that are gonna pull, because I guarantee you, in my organization, if they're gonna be part of it, we're going here, and success is never this. Best case scenario, it's this. How are they gonna operate here? I often tell a lot of my coaching clients, well, hey, if you're gonna start working with me after I've done my needs analysis and understand where they are, uh, your business may actually go backwards for a little while. We may need, actually need to fix some things in it. I wanna know that they're gonna be okay with that because sometimes in, 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 in building to massive success, if they don't have the resiliency to take a step back so they can accelerate forward, ah, they're really gonna struggle. And I wanna make sure people I'm interviewing don't fall into that. So other things to consider. Uh, I'm looking for a clear track record of success. Track record of success, ideally professionally. What's the greatest predictor of someone's future? Their past, yeah, their past behavior or their past, their past results. I wanna see people that have a real track record for success, so I'll give you a couple tips how we explore that in just a second. Now, we may be looking to hire someone that maybe they haven't, don't have a long uh, track record of professional success, okay. Um, I'm looking for people that were maybe division one college athletes, people that were high school debate champions, uh, people that became Eagle Scouts. What I'm looking for is people that have, that have risen to the top of whatever their interest level is and proven that they've got the tenacity to stay in one space for a period of time until they've hit their goal. Track record of success is absolutely critical. Unfortunately, we often fall trapped, especially if we're listening to the stories of hearing people that speak really well or on paper have a lot of talent, but they've never actually done anything with it. Again, I'll go back uh, to the Jeff Glover story I said yesterday. You know, people always look at Jeff and it's like, oh, he's so talented, he's so smart. He is. It's his consistency to stay the course over 20 years, which is why we are all in here. It's not his talent why we are all here. It's that he has a track record of consistent success. Uh, I'll give you some examples. If I'm interviewing agents, one of the things I want to ask for or indirectly or even specifically is give me some examples of time in your life where you've grinded where you've had to really persevere and I want to hear they freaking laid their life on the line for that that they did whatever it took that they were so results oriented and I want to hear again the language and I don't care about the story I don't care about what they specifically did from a story sake I care about how it shows how they think uh, for operations people or administrative or marketing, um, as I'm talking to them about the success they've had in maybe their other organizations in the past, I'm going to say, okay, well, great. So where did you personally move the needle? Here's what I'm not looking for. Things like, well, I really just love being a part of the team, and I was real friendly with everybody, and I helped everybody get along. That's great. But where did, I want to hear where they personally did it, where the team got stuck. And because of their efforts, because of their focus, because of their strategy, it pulled it forward. That's what top 1% talks about, is their role in how they, how they accomplished it. A couple more points. I wanna hire people that will be successful without me. If I will be the biggest reason, or if they need me to be successful, I don't wanna hire them. I'm actually looking to hire people that I'm like, that guy or that girl is gonna be a superstar and I'm gonna figure out how to grab on. In fact, I'll show you, I'll give you a quote here in just a second that ties on that. And I wanna like hold on to them because they're going light years ahead. If I don't think that person's gonna be a superstar without me, I don't want them with me. Last point on this is references matter. Boy, there's some people that are great at interviewing and I don't know, I've interviewed thousands of people, and it doesn't mean I'm always perfect at it, I could be fooled. References matter. Problem is most of us make the mistake on references, we're like, okay, Mr. Candidate, will you provide me with three references? And we call those three references, and what kind of reviews do you think we get? Glowing, because why would they give us a reference that wasn't gonna be amazing? So we end each of those three calls, hey, fantastic, I really appreciate you sharing that reference with me, and I'm curious, who else can you think of that might be able to give me a, a, another vantage point? of John, and I call that second person, all of a sudden the stories may not drive. 
And by the way, I call that second hire, and after, after ask, uh, you know, asking my series of questions, say, oh, hey, you've been so incredibly helpful. Who else can you think of that might be able to give me another perspective? It's called going three layers deep. And it's amazing at times the difference in the story I get at the third level than the top level. Do not, do not, do not discount the importance of going three deep in your reference checks. Remember, people's past performance, past track record, is indicative of their future track record. All right, so I told you I'd give you a quote that I'm really passionate about, really passionate about. Again, when I said I want people that can be successful with or without me, is this. This quote changed my life many, many years ago. How do you become a great leader? See, you could listen to speeches like this. You can read lots of books. There's <laughs> thousands of books on leadership, and they could be great reads. And you can get the philosophical things. Everything I'm sharing with you will help you mentally understand how to become a great leader. But how do you really become a great leader? You just do it. You just get out there and do it. You fail forward. You learn. But we can't grow our leadership lid. We can't grow our ability unless we're willing to just go for it on the talent side. And guess what? What's the worst that could happen? They leave because we weren't able to get there fast enough. Okay. Well, if we didn't hire them to begin with, we never would have had them either. And yet, do you think we learned? Do you think we learned what to do next? Yeah, and that makes us better. If, if I'm hiring someone, at least if they're going to be a direct report, if they're going to be a direct report, if they're in a lower level position in my organization, it's no big deal. But, if they're going to be a, but I'm going to coach my direct reports to have this. If they're a direct report and I don't have some butterflies in my stomach when I hire them, then I'm going to have to raise my game. I'm going to have to deliver massive value. Probably have, I don't necessarily have a duck, but I probably don't have a top one percenter. Scare yourself. Go for it. All right, next, let's talk about the uh, kind of what we call the onboarding section or the training, the training, the training. Now, one of my favorite questions, this is a, another famous quote. I'll give you the answer here in just a second. But the question, what if we spend our time training our people on everything they need to know and then they leave? Well, we're going to talk about the next 90 to 100 day period. So we make a hire. Next 90 to 100 days is the onboarding process. It's where we're going to get them ramped up and where we get them trained. Before we do that, let me read you some disturbing statistics. Up to 20% of employee turnover happens in the first 45 days. Statistically, 20% of people leave in the first 45 days. Nearly one-third of new hires start looking for a new job within their first six months of their current job. They start looking. It typically takes eight months for a newly hired employee to reach full productivity when there's no formal training process in place. Eight months before they're in real productivity. And last, 69% of employees are more likely to stay with the company for three or more years if they experienced a great initial 90 days. 69%. Here's why. First impressions matter. See, when you hired that person, you and them made a commitment to go on a journey together. But they haven't experienced that journey. All you've talked about is the potential journey. And when they show up on day one, and it looks like a complete disaster, what does that cause in their first impression? They make a decision almost instantaneously of, did I make the right choice? Because by the way, top 1% talent has other opportunities. Typically in top 1% talent, I'm competing against other people, other companies to hire them. And when they come in and they see a disaster, they start saying, ah, should have gone with company B. They may not initially leave, but they're probably gonna fall into one of these statistics. Next, I gave you some statistics about people quitting because they didn't have a great onboarding training process. <laughs> Learned this the hard way. Quitting is not necessarily the best metric though to gauge whether that onboarding process went well. There's a lot of people that hate their job, but they like the paycheck. There's a lot of job, a lot of people that show up and they do enough to stay, not enough to actually move the needle. So don't assume just because someone hasn't quit your organization in the first 90 days that you succeeded. No, 
especially, especially in a bad job market, especially in a bad job market, people will stay in a bad situation and we're not gonna get anything out of it. All right, so let's go back to this question. I love this, one of my favorite quotes. What if we spend our time training our people on everything they need to know and then they leave? Here's the response. What if we don't and they stay? Big limiting belief, big limiting belief in our industry is, well, if I bring an agent on my team and I teach them everything they know, they're just gonna go off and go do it themselves. Well, they might, but what if we don't teach them? How are they gonna perform with us? Now next, now next, people stay when they believe they can build their unreal life in your organization. People aren't actually leaving you because they've learned everything they need to go do it on their own. They're leaving you because they believe they can be more successful on their own or with someone else. Do not get those confused. They are not leaving you. In fact, I know for a fact, I've had people join my sales team that in their mind, in their mind said, oh, well, I think Matt's got it figured out, so I'm just gonna study everything he does for a year and then I'm gonna go do it. I know for a fact people have joined. And that had nothing to do with actually predicting whether they left after a year. It came down to, could I provide them with a path forward that helped them build their unreal life? Okay. Oops. All right, let's go next, if I can, hopefully. This is why I don't teach the technology section. All right. Next. So that onboarding process is roughly a 90 to 100 day plan, 90 to 100 day plan. And you'll notice this is just a sample, so this is not one to use. This is not a template. This is just one I used for, for uh, a direct report I hired a couple years ago. It's a 90-day plan that's actually broken into three 30-day sections. In my, in my world, I have not actually officially made a hire until someone's been with me for 90 days. In fact, that first 90 days, and, I, and I've learned this the hard way, so you're going to be challenged by my language, but I'm trying to get them to not make it through 90 days. Again, because I want to see the resiliency. So many people in that training plan, we start making excuses for their lack of performance. We start making excuses, oh, maybe I, maybe I pushed them too hard or I gave them too much too fast. Top 1% will figure it out. Now, by the way, the only way, hear me, hear me carefully here, the only way I'm going to legitimately start to question, did I give them too much, is if they're till, they're till midnight every night. If they're going home at 5 o'clock all the time and not hitting it, I'm not for a second thinking that I've given them too much. And by the way, and no one in my organization knows after they've been with me for a period of time that I'm expecting them to work all hours a night. No, no, I, I, unreal life, for most of my people at least, grinding 24 hours a day isn't part of their unreal life and I'm not asking them for that. But in the beginning, there's a counterbalance. They're getting up to speed. I, I expect them to get the job done, to get that list done, whatever it takes. And it's going to take them longer in this period because it's all new to them. Cool, great. Grind, get it done. And then once you start getting some efficiency, you don't have to work crazy hours all the time. What this also does is it models what's most successful. So a lot of times when people join our organization, they don't necessarily know what is most important, especially if we bring on a brand new agent, new to the business. They don't necessarily know that, hey, we're a lead generation business. So this 90-day plan, you'll notice, there's not a whole lot of things on it. This is not a to-do list. This is not everything you're gonna do in your first 90 days. In fact, you're, you're gonna do way more than that, but these are the things that matter. These are the things that if you do these, you have a job. If you do everything else amazing and you don't do this, you don't have a job. Pure and simple, these are the milestones that matter. Now, if you look in this, and I know it's probably hard to see, but I'll give you some tips when you're creating your own. These are results-based metrics. They're not subjective. So it's not lead generate every day. That's subjective. A person can make one phone call and say, well, I lead generated every day. But is that actually getting us the result we want? No, I'm looking for specific milestones in different phases. Like for instance, it may be 20 contacts a day for your first week. And then at some point, it's like, by your second month, we're expecting you to generate two appointments a week. By the third month, we're expecting you to have taken two listings. I'm just giving you examples here, but things that are incredibly objective, that are measurable, that if there's no question between either party, have they performed? One of the hardest dialogues you'll ever have is when you've given subjective criteria, and you're frustrated, and you sit down to have a conversation, and they're like, I'm killing it. 
I'm working my tail off. I don't care. Did you hit the exact milestones? That conversation can only happen when, when we have results-based metrics, results-based metrics. Next. There's a fine balance, and most people err one side or the other. I know I certainly do. But our goal when we bring on a new hire is to provide enough resources and training, enough resources and training so that they're not flying blind, but don't give them so much that it doesn't cause them to be resourceful. So I'll give you an example. This is, again, not, not one to use, just an example of something I gave one of my direct reports a couple years ago. Here are some resources when you get stuck to look for. But I purposely knew I had things on my 90-day uh, plan that they wouldn't find the answers there. That's where I wanted to see if they're resourceful. But I also didn't want to just throw them to the wolves and give them no support. Try to find that balance. Try to find that balance. All right, let's go to the next section. All right, next section now is developing and growing our people. So we hire somebody, they do a great job during their 90 days. What's the likelihood they've hit their full potential? Probably not there, right? So our next phase now, okay, how do I groom and nurture this person so they can continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow? So this is all about this, this, is, this, this section is all about teaching people how to think. They've already shown during their first 90 days they can do to a certain level. That doesn't mean that they're not gonna continue to do more over time or hit better conversion ratios, but now I wanna teach them how to think because then they become self-empowered for their own success. We're also gonna talk about holding them accountable to standards and coaching to their goals. Very different. In my organization, every person will have a standard, and they will have a goal. The standard is the minimum acceptable performance to have a job. Their goal is what gets them, takes them on the journey towards their unreal life. My job is to hold them to the standard. This is, you do not have a job if you don't hit the standard. And oh, by the way, when you hit the standard, we're spending the rest of the conversation, how can I support you on your goals? What resources do you think you need? Who do you think you could talk to that can help you with this? I'm gonna coach them to their goals, coach them to their goals, hold them to the standards. Again, the standard's just the minimum acceptable level to stay where it's still gonna justify my time. Next, we're gonna to commit to consistent one-on-ones. I don't know that I've ever had a client, maybe a couple, that have always been great at holding to their one-on-ones with their key direct reports. Because guess what, they get busy. They're like, oh, hey John, I know we were supposed to get together and talk, but I just got this listening opportunity, I can't afford not to go. No. Remember what I said earlier? That when we're only sales focused, we have 24 hours in a day. When we bring other people in our world, we have an unlimited amount of hours in a day. I will tell you, point blank, I believe that one-on-one -on -one meeting to be more important than the listing presentation. That listing presentation will make me some cash right now, but when I develop this person, they'll go out in part of my company, but without me, because they can do it on their own, because I've helped develop them, and they'll go on five listing presentations. Hold to the one-on-ones. Some of you have heard that the, uh, the old adage that the relationship is the conversation. The relationship is the conversation. So if we're not having our one-on-ones, we're basically saying we have no business relationship with them because we're not having any business conversations with them. Some best practices for this. Um, when I'm scheduling my one-on-ones, uh, an agenda is in place prior to the meeting. So this is not like, hey, we sit down. Okay, what do you want to talk about? Because guess what? You start spitballing the things that don't matter. So in agenda is, is in place now, my personal belief, this takes a little time to get good at and to train, is I want them to bring most of the agenda. Because by the way, this is a coaching session for them. So I want them to send me the agenda in advance, so if I need to prepare anything, then I can. But they prepare the agenda. Now, I may have one or two things that I need to get across that maybe they didn't recognize, but they, they set most of the agenda and they send it to me in advance so I have time to prepare. Next, the me every single meeting ends with action items. We don't have any great conversations. We have great conversations that lead to next steps. I want every single person to lead those meetings with action items that we have agreed to. Now, best practice, I had to learn this the hard way, is that you may have a conversation where you both think that you understand what the expectations are, and then they show up next week with their next meeting, and they're like, hey, I did this, this, and this, and in your mind, you're like, but you committed to this, this, and this. So best practice, 
immediately after the meeting, have your, have your person email you exactly what they believe they've committed to. That gives you an opportunity to review it. Make sure it lines up with you. Uh, and then if you need to tweak it, you can. But here's the other thing. You can take that email, so they email it to me. I forward it to myself to get it in another seven days at the next meeting. I don't have to think about it for seven days. And then seven days in the future, I receive that information again. I pull it out, and I, know exa I remember exactly what they've committed to. Having them email it makes, is a super efficient step. And then last, no cancellations. This is their time. This is their time. When you keep canceling on them, when you keep postponing, you are telling them that they don't matter. Are they going to see you as a conduit for their success if they don't matter? No cancellations, or at least extremely rare, extremely rare. So you can see some questions on your screen right here, which is really teaching them again how to think, how to think. That's what we're actually after. So let's talk about this a little bit matter. Um, remember that when we're working with people, it's results that matter. But, we, but who do we want to, uh, to, to generate the results? We want them. We want them. So I'm looking to teach them how to think. Listen to this. I love this quote. To, to, to have people that become eagles or mature eagles, we have to teach them how to think so that they will then go do what they need to do. We have to teach them how to think so they will go do what they need to do to then get what they want to get when they want it. Teach people how to think so they will go do what they need to do so they can then get what they want when they want it. I know I've done this well when they're able to figure out what it is they need to do and then go do it. I know I've taught them to think. Great, difficult, challenging uh, leadership lesson that probably everyone in here either has experienced or will experienced is when we know the answer to what they need to do, it is faster and more efficient to just give them the answer. And I've just put a ceiling on their success. Bite your tongue. Notice on your screen, all of these are questions. None of them are statements. Just because you know the answer doesn't mean you share it. If you give them the answer, they are not learning how to think. They are only learning how to do. Now, notice part of the quote I give you is they need to do what they need to do. But if they can't figure out what they need to do on their own, how are they actually going to have massive results outside of having to spend lots and lots and lots of time with you? They don't become self-managed to teach them how to think. A couple other things. Allow them to make some mistakes. Hey, um, anybody in here ever not nailed a listing presentation? How were you on your first buyer presentation compared to the most recent buyer presentation you went on? You a little bit better? Yeah, guess what? How did you get good? Because you studied, you practiced, and you did it. How are they going to get good? They're going to study, they're going to practice, and they're going to go do it. Allow people to make some mistakes and don't beat them up. Mistakes are actually how we learn faster. What's the old adage? Uh, uh, failure actually is what leads to success. Most of us believe that success causes success. That's baloney. Failure causes success. Here's why. If we have success, we can't actually learn what it is specifically that we did that caused that success. Because typically, the success we're after, may, um, it, it may have us doing 100 different things. But guess what? Oftentimes, 99 of those things don't matter. And it was only one of those things that actually caused the success. So we keep doing these 100 things. So we have some success, but it's inefficient. Instead, when we fail, we can figure out exactly what didn't work. That actually accelerates us faster to success because we're one step closer to knowing what does work because we've eliminated one of the things that is. Last on this section, we're on the home stretch. Coach from the inside out. People are holistic. Now, I've been coaching for a long time, and, and I actually really enjoy this part. Um, and I believe I'm, I'm probably qualified to teach a lot of therapy sessions, and I, I mean that. I mean that. I'm not calling myself a doctor. I'm, I'm not in any way insinuating that. But I would put my knowledge of human behavior and psyche and crisis management at that same level as many doctors, uh, psychiatrists that I, that I respect. Again, I'm not asserting that I'm at there. 
I want to be able to have real conversations with people. I cannot tell you how many people I've, I've coached through you know, navigating divorces or deaths in the family or depression. Now, I'm not a licensed therapist, so when necessary, I absolutely will refer them out. But people are holistic. We said yesterday, what's going on the inside causes what comes out on the outside. Who we are, or I'm going to use bad uh, language so we understand what it means, who we be causes us to go do, and then what we do then causes us to have what it is we have. There are often times where they're not doing the right do phase, and it's not because they can't or they won't, it's because who they be right now isn't, isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Coach people from the inside out. For those of you that are like me, high Ds, I'm not, I'm not like a super relational guy. That's not my strength. I've had to learn that skill. I've had to learn how to slow down. Hey, tell me how you're doing. Or follow up, hey, I know you're going through this struggle. How can I support you? Let's talk through it a little bit. Because until that gets resolved, nothing else will get fixed. All right, we're on the home stretch. Let's talk about this next part, which is how do we retain world-class talent? So we brought world-class talent in our organization. We've gotten them trained over 90 days. We've been coaching and developing them. How do we avoid that scenario where what if we teach them everything they need to know and they leave? How do we ensure people great talent, the people we don't want to leave, stay? Well, we got to get really clear that every single one of us in this room has a world. And people will stay in our world as long as their world fits within. So if I hire people and their world fits inside my world, and by world I mean they can get to their unreal life, their world is where they're wanting to go, they're not going to leave. Again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. People always say, why, Matt, why would you join Jeff? Now, I have other businesses, obviously, as well, and yet from the coaching and training world, I was willing to bring my world in to Jeff Glover's world because on the coaching and training side, Jeff World's is massive, is massive. And I have zero doubt that I can get to exactly what I want for my coaching and training world inside his world. So you think it's costing my mind to leave? No. I couldn't be more excited. I really believe we will be the largest coaching and training company in the country. I really believe. We're not today. Well, thank you. <laughs> but I really believe that inside of me. So guess what? I haven't filled my world yet in this space, but I believe his world is big enough and is growing at that pace that I can continue to expand the world to the extent that I want. Here's the rub. Sometimes when you have super talented people, and I've, I've experienced this and some of you probably have, I, I used to make the joke that I'm, I'm unemployable. I've been fired like five times. I'm serious. I'm serious. I really have not done a great job of being able to hold down a job. Because often what I have found is that I typically think of my world being more like that. And what happens is where I've, where I've learned, where I've learned, because I need to be accountable, is I didn't think about the fact that I wanted that world and I'm talking to people that have that orange world. And so it starts to become a rub because I'm then putting pressure on them. Like, we got to grow. We got to go. And I'm going out and trying to build my world. And it's either making them uncomfortable or it's not aligned with their vision or where they're going. And so whether I'm fired or I quit, that doesn't work. If you have people that fundamentally want a bigger world than you do, at some point, they're going to leave. Now, by the way, that may be okay. Because whose unreal life do you want? Yours. So I'm not insinuating you need to have a better or bigger, well, better's not, better's a judgment word, I don't mean that, but a bigger unreal world. No, go build your unreal world. And you may have to be okay. You may have to be okay with letting superstar talent leave. By the way, they helped you, they helped you grow, they helped you build, love them on the way out. That's awesome, support them. But we either have to be okay with them going or we have to be willing to grow our world. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. You guys have an amazing opportunity in the real estate space in which, I think I, I, think I read something like the real estate industry is something like an $88 billion industry. And the truth is, there's so much opportunity that goes beyond simply real estate sales. And I want to always be thinking ahead. When I look at the talented people, in fact, um, just last week, just last week, one of my key people in one of my real estate organizations, I sat her down and said, hey, You've been doing an amazing job, 
and you've earned an extra opportunity. And we just started a mortgage company, and I said, I'm gonna make you a 10% owner in that organization. You're not gonna have to buy in. This is just a, a, a pat on the back and a thank you. How do you think that made her feel that she just now owns 10% of our mortgage company? Yeah. What I just did is I knew, I knew that this person is super, super, superstar talent. And that if I don't grow my world and give her opportunity within that world, she doesn't need me. She would be super successful without me. But I've been thinking from the day I hired her two years ago, really clear on how am I gonna manage making sure that she never wakes up and said, not sure if I fit in Matt's world anymore. So I've chosen to grow my world. There's all sorts of opportunities you can do that. All right, the clock is staring me in the face saying zero, zero, zero. Jeff is probably ready to come back on stage and take us to break. So hey, thank you everybody, it was great seeing you. Thank you for taking your time to join Jeff today on the Live Unreal with Glover U podcast. To get started on having an unreal business, take the real estate self-assessment. After you complete the assessment, a member of Glover U will get on a call with you to create an action plan to improve your score. Go to www.gloveru.com self. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Search for Live Unreal with Glover U on iTunes, Podbean, or Spotify, and subscribe today. Until next time.